Welcome back to the Naked Security Podcast. I'm Kimberly Trung, and to my virtual right, I've got Doug Ameth. On the right this time, I like it. Hey, happy December, everybody. 2020 is almost over. Sad to see it go. What a year, huh? <laughs> what a year. You're sad to see it go? Oh, no. God. To my virtual left, I've, I almost got mixed up there. You know what? We could both be on the right. Like this is There's true. no law that says you have to consider this yourself in the middle. But I'll, uh, I'll yeah, that's how very how very arrogant of me to put myself in the middle every time. It's just convenient <laughs> if you if you're the it is convenient if you're the presenter. Left, right. Uh, so hello, <laughs> and yeah, happy December. <laughs> and I hope you chaps had a lovely Thanksgiving weekend, and that you didn't get fleeced on Black Friday again. <laughs> The last good Black Friday we talked about this. Was- Comp USA. <laughs> yep. There was a Wii a yep. sport package involved. Yes, thank you, Doug. Do you know there's a thing called PS5, or did you just did you just blank it? Uh, I've been trying to find that thing. Oh, have you? <laughs> every day. How to scam Doug? Hey, Doug. Yeah, yeah. Try. To, yeah, <laughs> that would be a good way to do it. Really? That and the that and the new Xbox. Just yep. Yeah, either of those. Twin pack. The one time in my life I have enough disposable income to buy both new consoles and <laughs> no one wants to sell them to me. Anywho, uh, the headlines, gift card hack exposed, you pay, they play, dun dun. Bzz. How safe is that keenly priced digital doorbell? That's with seven Zs for those of you keeping score. And home Wi-Fi security tips, five things to check. But first, I've got a fun fact and I'm going to put Kim on the spot here. Uh-oh. Kim. You are our social media expert here at Sophos. Oh, no. Did you know that the Twitter bird actually has a name? Without Googling it, and I can see you, you know what it is. Uh, well, admittedly, I did not know that the Twitter bird has a name, and I certainly don't know what the name is, but it, can I take a guess, I, I suppose? Sure. Yeah. Um, Roger. Very close. His name is Larry. <gasps> Larry T. Bird, named after the Boston Celtics yes. legend. Yes. Whose middle name is actually Joe, so the T must stand for Tweet or Twitter or maybe Thomas. <laughs> so a little bit of backstory. Twitter co-founder Biz Stone grew up around here. He's actually a friend of a friend of mine. Oh, and you. this friend of mine claimed that he gave Biz, whose real name is Christopher, the nickname Biz at a childhood party, which I believe for a long time. But then I found out, thanks to a blog post that Biz himself wrote, that the true story is, as a kid, Biz, whose name is Christopher, couldn't pronounce his own name. And instead, he would say Bizaba. And so his parents called him Biz. But he was a Celtics fan, so he named the Twitter bird Larry T-Bird. I love that. I love the stuff like that. The more you know. The more you know. Actually, you just reminded me. I need to tease the Ono of the week. So the Ono of the week is make sure you've got all the parts you need for your computer to work. That's the hint. Stick around for the Ono at, towards the end of the episode. It's a funny one. Always good advice. (laughs) And speaking of good advice, we're going to talk about some gift card hacks. We had an interesting case study from our managed threat response team that proves that it's not always about ransomware. One hacking group broke in and then reset some user passwords on retail sites to try to turn a quick buck. So, Paul, what's interesting to me about this uh, is that a lot of things have to go right for the attackers to actually pull this one off. And one facet in particular is that People have to have saved their credit card info into the into the various retailers' websites. And there's a ton of questions here, but give us a rundown of, of what happened here. 
Well, there's a bit more to it than that, and maybe I mean a bit less to it, because there are still plenty of other things that they were able to do, which was unfortunate. But you think that the the reason that crooks want to get into your network, typically what you'll read about in the media, is they want to get in and they want to map out your whole network till they know it better than you do, and then they want to steal all your files, and then they want to implant ransomware, and they set it all off at 2.22 in the morning when nobody's around, and then they send you the demand for $1,234,000 if you don't mind. Um, But these crooks aren't like that. They have slightly different goals. You might consider them less sophisticated, but it may simply be that their, their modus operandi is that rather than spend several days or maybe even weeks scoping out a network and then taking a gamble on whether someone's going to pay, they figure if we can get into a company network, but treat all the people in the company as the individuals they are as well, then what if we could get on average every individual in the company to buy an online gift card and just happen to send it to, well, us, and then we'll go and sell them at whatever the going rate is, maybe 25% of their face value uh, on the dark web. So in other words, they're treating the intrusion into the company network as a way of attacking lots of individuals at the same time with a view to ripping the individuals off. And if while they're there, they happen to get at some company accounts and rip money off you know, company credit cards, well, like the crooks don't care. So that was their goal. They got in. We don't know how they got in in the first place. It turned out, incidentally, that their corporate VPN hadn't been patched for a year. There was a fix that could have been used for somebody to get in. We don't think that's how these crooks got in. Probably they got in via phishing one user. When they're on that user's computer, they realize, hey, there's a VPN connection that we can use that will let us wander around the network as a whole. So instead of attacking 200 people one by one and getting each person to try and buy four $200 gift cards and send them to us where we can just basically leech the money, let's go after the people on the network. And of course, inside the network, this company had RDP, lots of people do, not so much for remote access, but for people who are inside the network to be able to provide remote support so they could jump in and fix things on people's computers. So the crooks, the procedure was, uh, as far as we can tell, it was only semi-automated. So most of this is probably, you only need a couple of people doing this, jump to the next computer, log in as the user, fire up their browser, see if they've left themselves logged into their personal email, which many people do, go in, leave the email window open, and then they had a list of about 20 accounts that they would open up in other browser tabs one by one. So that's everything from like, I think Best Buy, PayPal, uh, loads of sites where you go to buy Walmart, where you go and buy stuff. And then they would either try to but try to get into the account directly. But if that account wasn't open, all they would immediately do a password reset on all the accounts they couldn't get into, go back to the email window, click all the reset links in a row, and then they had access to all those accounts. And then in each and every one, they'd go in, look for specific types of gift card that they knew would sell well online and on the dark web, and just go in and try to buy them one by one. And of course, what they're hoping is by trying lots of different users, lots of different online accounts, anywhere that someone has left their credit card on file and so that they can more easily approve transactions is very likely uh, inadvertently to be buying stuff, but it's the crooks pressing the buttons. And one of the keys to stopping this attack is stopping it quickly. So great work by the rapid response team, but really hats off 
excellent work by the company admin, right? Absolutely. From from what I gather from the speaking to the rapid response uh, person who dealt with this is that uh, it seems that quite a lot of, in fact, the majority, vast majority of users in this network had been conservative about leaving credit card numbers on file, you know, for ease of purchase. They figured when I want to buy something, you know, I might as well keep myself a little bit of a distance away so I can't buy things by mistake or my kids can't order things that I didn't intend. And so apparently when when this, when the dust settled and users went and reclaimed their accounts and went back in, apparently a lot of them found that their shopping carts had uncompleted purchases of gift cards sitting in them, where the crooks, if they'd had the credit card on file, the crooks would have got away with them, but they hadn't. So it seems that the crooks got quite frustrated by that. And in order to try and get further, they needed to start resetting uh, work accounts on the, on the Windows domain. And this caused a sysadmin to lose access to email on their phone because, of course, the phone had the old password and couldn't connect anymore. So this sysadmin, smart maneuver. Instead of going, hey, the obvious thing is crooks have been in. Someone's fiddled with my password. I'll jump in. If I fix my password, I've got control back. I win. This person was a little further thinking than that and said, okay, I'm going to do that so I can get control of my account, but then I want to know I'm going to call in somebody who can find out why did this happen because I don't want it to happen again. And that's when the rapid response team were able to jump in, do the forensics, find out what happened, kick the crooks out, and come up with a load of guidelines that would make things much safer in the future. What could have been done to help prevent this uh, from happening in the first place? Uh, Well, the obvious thing is uh, as we always say, patch early, patch often. As I mentioned at the beginning, uh, they had a VPN that was unpatched and that could have been a routine. We don't mm-hmm. think it's how these crooks got in, but given that they hadn't noticed it for that time, you know, somebody was going to find it sooner or later. So they've now got that on there. Let's make sure that doesn't happen again. Another thing which I think would have helped an awful lot in this case is, uh, again, a good old truism, use two-factor authentication whenever you can. I, th- From what I understand is they didn't have 2FA on their VPN because it was felt to be a little bit of an, of an annoying inconvenience to users, so they kind of didn't quite get there. Well, guess what? They've got 2FA now because that just makes it harder for the crooks to turn an injury to one in an, into an injury to the whole network. And the other two things that I just want to mention, which are what individuals can do rather than, you know, the way that work sets things up for you. Uh, One of them is what Doug mentioned is be wary of leaving, review where you leave your credit card number on file. And the other thing is, I know it's a real inconvenience. I know people don't like doing it. I know lots of us skip it. And that is log out routinely when you are not using an account. It is a small annoyance, particularly if you have two-factor authentication on that account. It's a small annoyance to log back in every day, for example, to your email or to your Amazon account or to your Best Buy account or whatever it might be. But if it's a small inconvenience to you, imagine what a giant inconvenience it is to the crooks. Because in this case, they needed access to your email account and able to do the resets on all the others. So if you'd logged out from all your accounts, they would have been stymied right from the start. 
And of course, my other advice, if you see something, say something, which for the, so for the company, you need somewhere that people can say something. And when they do say something, you need to react to it. Uh, and as we've often said before, many users may report things that just look a bit suspicious, but in the end, they aren't. If you're the IT people, then just try and remember there's no such thing as a stupid question, only a stupid answer. The only site I have my credit card saved is CompUSA.com in case they get uh, the new Xbox or PS5 in stock. Well, if thanks for telling only. everybody that, Doug. Like, if you want a <laughs> PS5 and you don't want to pay for it... <laughs> at CompUSA.com, which no longer exists. Doug oh. did say that he has the funds to do it now. So That's, that's why I can't find one, because CompUSA no longer exists. <laughs> That's my problem. So that article is called Gift Card Hack Exposed. You pay, they play. Before we get into our next story about digital doorbells, I'd like to bring to your attention what we're calling the blocked comment of the week. This is a doozy too. The topic of this comment, unsubscribing from spam. The comment itself is as follows. I'd like to convey my respect for your kind-heartedness in support of folks who absolutely need help on this situation. Your own warm and friendly facts can mean this much a person like me and even further to my office colleagues. Thanks a lot from all of us. And from that, that person is named, great name too, rolls off the tongue, efficient carpet cleaners. <laughs> I, I actually hearing you say it slowly and carefully, I almost don't understand it now. It, did, it was a very nice message. I'm not going to lie. It was very heartwarming. Uh, but it was a little confused towards the end. Actually, this is a great reminder. If you have a blog, then it is really important not just to approve comments because they appear warm-hearted. Uh, and you'll know... <laughs> like me. I know, that, I know that sounds crass, but what I mean is that there are... <laughs> There are comment spammers who are actually more sophisticated than the one we just read out where they do get the English correct. And they've carefully written their praise in it it, it kind of it's it's not quite totally generic like thank you so much. It kind but it could fit about 20, 30, 50 different topics. And it's tempting to approve it because the language just looks warm and rewarding, but actually when you look at the name of the person, you think I don't know anyone called efficient carpet cleaners. Handy floor buffers is one of my good, good <laughs> friends, but efficient carpet cleaners is a little bit on the nose for this one, I think. Our second story today is called... <laughs> How safe is that keenly priced digital doorbell? I was going to put ding dong as the headline, but... Uh, a, the people who did the original research had used ding dong in their headline. And B, I've got, wanna... used, no, I've got used to BZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZZ
Their research claimed that all 11 doorbells that they bought tested uh, and tested demonstrated high risk security issues. Duck, what are these findings and do you agree? In the article I wrote, I, my, my first thought was, well, I, I wouldn't call all of them high risk the way I think of high risk. I think of high risk as something where a crook could just break into the device because of a security flaw that you couldn't really do anything about. Um, but which, oh, by the way, I, I love Witch Magazine, but you know, they have a, they have a, a question mark in their name. So it's which question mark. <laughs> it's which? It is so annoying when you're trying to quote the name of the magazine in an article because you have to keep setting everything in italics. Otherwise, it completely... And you bet you can't end a sentence with the name of the magazine. <laughs> well, you can't end a statement. Yeah. yeah. Oh, golly. Anyway, that aside, uh, they they interpret as high-risk things like where the device shipped with a default password that was widely known on the internet, uh, but you could change it. And my immediate thought was, well, to me, that's not high-risk because that's not like a backdoor or a you know a, a software vulnerability that you can't predict and that that crooks can can exploit without you realizing it. But I absolutely get where which is coming from, and. That is that if you're going to sell somebody a device that has a setup procedure in which you expect them to choose a proper password, then don't ship the device so it will work with a bad password until they get around to doing what they're supposed to do. Make it so it doesn't work until they've gone through the setup process and made that choice themselves. Or do what the router manufacturers are doing these days and ship each device with a randomly generated password, which is printed on a card that comes in the box. So that even if you couldn't be bothered to set it up properly, at least you have a unique and decent password to start with. So that was that was something that some of the devices had, but there were three. And remember, they didn't go for the for the mainstream brands here. They just went to online sites like you might on a Black Friday or a Cyber Monday or an exciting digital December or whatever. And oh, I want to buy one of those because the price looks right. And so they were buying the kind of devices that, as far as they could tell, they looked okay. They had they had 20 or more five-star reviews each. They were reasonably priced, and they looked like any other digital doorbell because, you know, one plastic molding can look much like another. But in three of the 11 that they bought, the, th- the three that I thought had the most interesting bugs were quite astonishing. For example, one of them, when you set them up, what they would do is it would upload your Wi-Fi password to a server operated by the vendor. You know, just, I don't know, for backup purposes. So a, That doesn't it, seem sus at all. No, no. <laughs> like, uh, why, why would a but, vendor need to do that? But even worse, they did it using HTTP so that oh anybody between you and the vendor can figure out your wireless password when you're setting it up. Anyone next door who's been watching your wireless network will know ah, you know, I haven't been able to get in yet, but I can now. Um, so that, yeah, I why, obviously, you know, the, the, the immediate response is, oh, well, the company must, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a secret trick to spy on you. You kind of think, golly, for $30, I think you can apply, is it called Hanlon's Razor? It's a special version of Occam's Razor. You know, Occam's Razor is the, is the sort of, theory in, in logic or argumentation that says if you have two explanations for something, the simpler explanation is the one you should prefer because it's easier to explain and understand. And Hanlon's razor says the same thing for you know arguments about why someone did something. So never attribute to malice what can equally well be explained by incompetence. 
And <laughs> I'm imagining they just figured, oh well, you know what? Like the device, it's quite a pain to it's quite a pain to tell the device what the Wi-Fi password is because you can't hold it up to a QR code. And if it if you so what we'll do is we'll just keep a record when you set it up for the first time. We'll upload a whole lot of stuff to our servers, and then you can put an app on your phone, and then the phone can go and retrieve the data, and then the phone can. Re I don't know. There was probably some reason why they figured it would be it would be handy to keep some kind of cloud backup of your stuff that included data they had no reason to collect, and then. They collected it in a basically totally insecure way. That was the first error that makes you remember that sometimes when you're buying something that was built down to a price that is like a small computer with wireless and a camera and all of that fancy stuff and the nice looking plastic molding and the ding dong thing, you know, when you're paying $20 and 45 cents and that's, that's the retail price. You kind of figured that when they were building that device, security probably didn't get a big look in amongst the programmers. And that, right. was, a, that was a keen reminder, you know, just what were they thinking, basically. Well, this second security hole that they found, I don't know why I find so funny. Well, it's uh, literally a security <laughs> hole, isn't it? This one. It's yeah. literally a tiny little security hole. Apparently, obviously, one of the problems you imagine with the digital doorbell is because you don't have to drill a hole in your doorframe. That's a big advantage, right? You don't need to drill a hole and stick a wire through and all of that stuff. Um, but you still have to worry about now I've got, I haven't, on my doorbell, if someone nicks the doorbell switch, they've just nicked the switch. The doorbell's inside the house. But here, the doorbell, you know, it's got like the, the cameras in there, for example, and probably a load of other circuitry to make it work to connect to whatever's inside. So you think, I wonder how securely it gets mounted to the doorframe for somebody who wants to secure it to properly. And apparently for this one, to make it really easy to install, you basically you install it by clipping it on and you remove it <laughs> by using, you know, one, you know those little tiny needly probes that you get with an iPhone to, to, to eject your SIM card? The SIM card ejector tool. A SIM card ejector tool. That's exactly the, I was going to say the word I was looking for. Apparently, that is the key that unlocks the device from its holder. So a crook can cover their face, come up to the device, pop in the, what was it, Doug? SIM card ejector tool. Um, stick the doorbell in their pocket. So now, A, it's no longer recording them. B, They've got your doorbell, so they can, I guess they can sell it on if they want. And see, nothing that's stored. There's flash device apparently in that doorbell that has a bunch of data. I assume that would include at least your wireless password, but also probably recent temporary files, captures of people who visited recently. All of that stuff's on there unencrypted. So they get your data. Uh, they get your wireless password. They get surveillance turned off. And they get the doorbell. This third security hole, um, apparently the device can be forced back into setup mode at will from outside your house. That Yes, <laughs> apparently that's just like comic, isn't it? So the yeah. cook goes around the corner and says, oh, I want to pair. And so oh. the device goes, oh, I know. So I'll turn off the camera. I'll disconnect from the network. I'll just sit waiting until you're ready. And then the crook's burglar house with the, the, the surveillance is turned off. And then when they leave, I suppose after a few minutes, it goes, oh, well, you never did bother to pair and turns itself back on, leaving you a beautiful outage in the middle of your security footage. Oh. Um, yeah, somebody really didn't think that through, did they? So if I'm the average consumer... 
and I'm I just want a digital doorbell. What Charlie consumer? <laughs> I'm Charlie. I'm Charlotte consumer. How would I know anything about these security flaws and what brands to look for and what to avoid? That unfortunately really is the sixty-four thousand dollar question, because unless you're going to do what which question mark magazine did and actually go buy a bunch of doorbells and analyze them. <laughs> I mean, which means you've already yeah. paid for them, right? <laughs> like, I bought not, $300 worth of doorbells. Yeah, to see which $12 doorbell was the least worst. <laughs> um, and of course, even if you analyze, even if you're a security expert, you're likely to find holes in them. But even if you don't find the holes, maybe it's just because you've got so many doorbells, you didn't have enough time to spend on each one. For example, imagine if that doorbell that leaked the Wi-Fi password had used HTTPS then it would have been 10 times more work for which magazine to, oh, look, there's this encrypted packet going back to the vendor. Let's go and look and see what's inside it. So sometimes, ironically, devices that do a little bit of security, not enough to be actually secure, do make it much harder for you to decide whether the security they're doing is done right or not. So unfortunately, there isn't any kind of magic thing that you can do by looking at the device and trying to gauge its quality from the outside. Um, so I, I think the important thing here is is to take a non-technical look at that, at, at this whole marketplace for IoT devices. And my first advice is that when you go onto a merchant site and you're looking for a budget device like a doorbell or a webcam or a baby monitor or anything like that, ignore the online reviews. Don't even bother to look at them. Because as I said, which magazine, all of the devices they chose had dozens of five-star reviews. But you have absolutely no idea who left those five stars. And, you know, bogus reviews are almost literally 10 a penny. So the online reviews tell you absolutely nothing at all. And as a commenter on the Naked Security article mentioned, actually, there are many people who buy one of these doorbells, and if they can get it to work at all, and they get it to work easily, they'll give it a genuine five-star review because that's really all they're looking for. They're not looking into, well, is it actually secure? They just, hey, I bought it, and it worked. Right. And they're just assuming, hey, because it says it's a security device, it must be secure, right? Otherwise, it would be called an insecurity device. And the second thing, which is which is also rather important, is ignore what the device looks like. And I know that sounds weird, but there are two problems here. One is that it's very trivial to make a device that looks like another. So if you have a really cheap device and you want to make it look like a device but somebody's heard is good, then it's it's easy to copy that molding and just make it look exactly right. The flip side of that is there aren't actually that many different devices, say doorbells, at the core. So there are there are manufacturers who make devices, they have the same hardware, the same firmware, the same software, they're basically the same device, but they look a little bit different because they might have a different plastic molding, they've got a different branding, a different logo, different packaging. So the fact that something, if you've seen a device that looks fantastic and you've heard it's great, and then you see one online in that little picture that looks identical, it doesn't mean it's the same. And if you've seen a doorbell that you know lots of people have told you don't buy that one, it's very insecure secure, don't be swayed by the fact the one you're looking at looks completely different because for all you know, could be 
exactly the same device inside. It's called white boxing. It means that what you're buying is this basically this unbranded device. And then the manufacturer just tweaks it so yours looks different from everybody else's. So really, all you can do is actually find someone you actually know and you actually trust who has done some genuine research into this and ask them. In other words, don't be in a hurry to buy just because you're getting a good deal, because there's nothing worse than paying money for something that's supposed to increase your security, only to find afterwards that it actually made things even worse. What I like to do is in devices like these is if I'm not quite sure about it, if the reviews look a little suspicious, I'll Google the name of the device plus forums to see if they have a user forum, because then you generally get real people advice. If someone's complaining in the forums that it's insecure, that's going to kind of bubble up. So I'll look through forums like that if I'm not quite sure. And then Particularly this is- if they're forums that aren't directly affiliated or controlled by the vendor or the merchant. Um, yeah, or I'll, I'll search like uh, whatever the doorbell's name is, Reddit, to see if Reddit Redditors are talking about it. And the other unfortunate thing is with with devices such as these, if you're if you're looking to get the cheapest one possible, and this is terrible advice, it's kind of a downer, but you kind of got to make your peace with the fact that it's not going to be very secure. So if you yeah, live in the agree. middle of nowhere so. in a, on a giant farm where you're not going to have people stopping by to glom off the connection to your doorbell, that's probably fine. But uh, for most other people, if you're living in densely populated areas, it's probably, you probably want to spend a little more to get one with a better reputation. Yes. And that was, you know, the, the fourth piece of advice, which is kind of uncomfortable or disappointing advice, but I'll stick by it anyway. The last piece is basically that you have to, sometimes you have to be prepared to cut your losses. Well, Ding dong, right? If you want a cheery <laughs> conclusion, if you, if we're not going to get though, that carpet cleaning guys coming in saying what a warm and lovely article. <laughs> but uh, you know, life sometimes like that. Oh God! If you want to check out that full article, you know where to find it. It's on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And Doug, what is our last article we're talking about this week? Every day is a computer security day. <laughs> Every day <laughs> is a computer security day. But November 30th was officially computer security day. So let's talk about wireless fidelity. So if I play the part of, if you will, Charlie Consumer, I'll start things off by saying no hacker would be interested in my home network. Right, Paul? Well, the answer to that, Doug, is why not? It could just be somebody next door who figures, hey, free Wi-Fi, and then can't resist once they're in having a poke around because they've heard about this hacking stuff. Uh, you could be, you know, what if the person's a creep? They might just want to get on your network for, for, for really unsavory reasons. But the point is that why would you want to make it easier than you need to for somebody who is not on your property who's outside where you can't even see them hiding around the corner to be able to march in and get onto your network where they're either on a device which is right next to your work laptop or worse still right on your work laptop why would you want them to be part of something that when you could so easily keep them out so the idea is that nobody should feel they're immune from cyber criminality so the idea that that I, I'm unimportant uh, just doesn't make sense anymore because everybody has something that it behooves them to keep private. And, you know, that includes stuff that could allow crooks 
who aren't after your stuff, they're just after your network bandwidth. It means that they could use you as their vehicle for committing the next wave of cyber crimes, sending spam from your network, launching attacks against other people. Do you really want the initial finger of law enforcement investigations pointing back at you? Probably not. That's a great point. And uh, I would, to quote my friend, efficient carpet cleaners, I'd like to convey my respect for your kindheartedness and support. If ever I'm feeling down or worthless or that nobody wants me or nobody likes me, I will always remember that to a cyber criminal, I am important. So thank you for that. <laughs> yes, on that cheery note. Yeah, it's <laughs> we have some tips. <laughs> Tip number one is apply those updates. Yes, if you have a router that is not getting updates, consider getting a different one. But basically, router updates and firmware updates for all those devices, that also includes things like your phone, your laptop operating system, the applications you use on your laptop on your phone, your baby monitor, your webcam, and your internet doorbell if it's getting <laughs> updates. Tip number two, check your encryption settings. Yes, the the the, the people oh, the people the person who wrote the article for Naked Security is uh, part of Sophos support, so they're used to when they're five tips they try and keep them clean and clinical and so that they don't have too much detail in them. And basically, what they were about here is making sure that if you have an older router or if you set up your network some time ago, could even be years ago, uh, you may be using outdated. Uh, network encryption like web for example wired equivalent privacy uh, or you could be using somewhat less secure versions of wpa like wpa with rc4 encryption or what's known as wpa tkip uh, so their recommendation is most routers these days uh, would prefer you to use a thing called wpa2 dash AS dash PSK. You may see it called WPA2 CCMP. That's the name of the encryption protocol dash PSK. PSK means pre-shared key. And if you aren't doing that, if you've got no encryption or something like WEP, then and your router supports uh, modern encryption, you might as well turn it on because it just, it, it it's one click. And it basically means that makes it that much harder for crooks to get in by actually cracking your password due to cryptographic weaknesses. Tip number three, pick a proper password. Yes, well, that follows on directly from PSK, the pre-shared key. And that pre-shared key is basically the password that you put in on your phone and the password that you put on the router. If they match, they can talk to each other. So don't pick password because that's too easy to guess. Tip number four, check who's on your network. Yes, uh, most router management consoles, I think the, the, the web portal that your uh, that most routers have, uh, will have a screen that will show you who's connected to your network. It's worth reviewing that regularly because, you know, if, you're, if your neighbor's been leeching off your Wi-Fi for the last three years and you didn't know it and they didn't ask and you wouldn't have said yes, do you want them to still be on your network? Probably not. But even more importantly, it lets you remind yourself about devices that you could have sworn that you turned off or that weren't supposed to be connecting to your to your router or getting online anymore and the router is actually a nice telltale because of course to get out onto the internet any device inside has to go via your router so your router knows that it's there and can keep a record of it use that record just as a way of keeping 
tabs on what you have. Tip number five, last but not least, review your IoT devices. When you go and see what devices are on your network, you're likely to see a whole bunch of IoT stuff. There might be things that you thought you weren't using anymore that you forgot to turn off. Make sure you go and remove those, like a webcam or an old baby monitor that you didn't realize was still connected. And it's also a good reminder of information about those devices, which maybe don't have uh, screens of their own, that you can see which devices are online. And that may be a prompt for you to go and actually check those devices and brings us right back to the very first tip is, you know, when was the last time you reviewed the settings on that device? When was the last time you did a firmware update? When was the last time you decided whether that device you needed it at all? You know, uh, less is more when it comes to things on your network. If you've got something on the network that's there that you don't really need and that you aren't really using, don't leave it there just in case. It's perfectly okay. To, to get into a habit that when you're not using it, unplug it uh, and shut it down. That way it can't get on the network and it can't leak information that you didn't want it to. And if we may dispel some Wi-Fi myths, I, I will call attention to this video embedded in the article, which is for, was published on May 21st, 2013 and still holds up today. When I saw that it was uh, posted on May 21st, 2013, I said out loud, simpler times, and then I wondered to myself, were they simpler times? So I went back and looked at what I was doing on May 21st, 2013. <laughs> I was working at Time Magazine. We were writing up the Xbox One announcement had just been released. So wow. there was, was simpler times. And I had zero kids. So very much simpler times. <laughs> and a great day in the history of video gaming. Anyway, um, so Paul, if I hide my network name, that means I'm totally safe, right? Yes, that I was worried about putting that video in because I had great fun making it, but and and I still enjoy watching it. Can I think? Golly, seven and a half long years since I made it, um, and yet we had a commenter on the article saying, "Hey, you should hide your network name." I had to say, "Look, you know that video in the article. You really need to go and you really need to go and watch it and realize that hiding your network name stops people connecting to it by mistake because they just." typed in your name or they just it stops appearing on a list that they can pick too easily but the problem is that your network name is basically a matter of public record because it's in the packets that get transmitted from your network so anyone who sits out there who wants to can figure out your hidden network name and you know if you're a crook looking to find a network that's most likely to let them in easily. If I were a crook, I'd start with the ones that had hidden network names because I would assume that the person thought that's all they needed to do for security. So it means the network name doesn't appear in network lists, like when you click on the little wireless icon on your Mac and you get that list that pulls down. It won't appear in there. But if you run a wireless network sniffer, then the name comes out in the wash because it's embedded in the broadcast packets that come out of your network. Okay, so if I allow list device by MAC address, that's totally safe, right? Well, that's that's the sort of other side of the network name coin, to be honest. Uh, you can say to your router, only allow computers that are using this particular network address. That's the that's the it's a six byte number that's sort of burned into your network card or your wireless card when it's when it's shipped from the factory, only let those onto the network. People assume that that means that they'll never be able to figure out what MAC address to use. Therefore, they'll never be able to get on your network. Um, there, are, there are two big problems with that. Firstly is the MAC address is 
part of is part of every network packet that's spat out and it's not encrypted so it's meant to be a matter of public record it's meant to be a unique identifier that stops two devices clashing and the other problem with mac addresses although they're lots of people call them hardware addresses and that's what they're supposed to be in fact on a mac if you go into the the, the little in the in the settings uh, dialog and you go in to configure your wireless it actually has a button that says hardware and when you click it that's where you see the mac address but you can actually use software to change it so if all you're doing is mac address filtering anybody who can sit and watch packets coming from your network can get a list of of mac addresses of computers that are using your network record them and then either when you're asleep and those mac addresses aren't being used just set up one of their computers to look like yours or even worse they can actually send because these don't need to be encrypted either they can send what's called a disassociate packet so they can kick you off the network and then jump on it quickly masquerading as you by telling their network card to use your mac address so again that's a safety thing it stops you connecting devices by mistake that you didn't intend to that's quite good it means if you do buy a new digital doorbell it, it can't connect itself to your wireless network by accident like you have to go through some extra steps but it is safety not security very important to remember that and then web like for year i mean i've been using wireless technology for decades and it feels like even the first time i went to set up uh, a network it was like you should secure it, but do not use WEP, please. WEP is, here's the option for WEP, but do not use this. Even in, in the, the router settings, it's like, don't use this, but here it is. Why, why does WEP even still exist? Well, it kind of doesn't because on modern mobile phones, you know, they can be access points and modern routers. It's just not there. You can have unencrypted if you absolutely must or WPA2, for example, on the version of Android that I use on my spare phone. Those are those are the only options and they just got rid of WEP. The problem, I think, why a lot of people in the old days carried on using WEP even though they knew they shouldn't, the standard excuse was Nintendo DS Lite. You know, when they came out, they were so cool, but they only supported WEP. <laughs> a lot of people who had started using WPA downgraded so they could get the DS Lite online. And then they kind of figured, well, I've never seen anyone break into my network. From a cryptographic point of view, it is fundamentally flawed. Anybody who listens to your network traffic for long enough, and this could be just a few minutes, can actually do some admittedly quite complicated calculations uh, but they're well within the power of a mobile phone or a modern mobile phone or a laptop to do in, in seconds or minutes. They can basically work backwards from your network traffic and figure out the password. Of course, in cryptography, that's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to be able to go from encrypted data and work backwards to the password. But there was a series of cryptographic blunders in web that basically they can't be fixed. Well, they can be fixed. Don't use web. The newer protocols were introduced precisely because of the problems with web that meant that it's it basically it's like having a key to your front door that is basically the same as everybody else's it makes you think you're secure but anybody can get in who wants it's been around since 1997 i mean i was graduating high school i was wearing birkenstocks and a fish t-shirt birkenstocks a fish t-shirt on my way to the university of puget sound <laughs> Those were simpler times. You wore Birkenstock shoes. Uh, sandals, yeah. 
Everyone Are you did. what they call a mature student in those days? <laughs> I've never been accused of being a mature student. You had a mullet. You had a mullet. You had a mullet. Doug had a mullet. <laughs> I Didn't probably you? did. Yeah. <laughs> oh. awesome. The other things that I recommend you don't use and turn off, and many modern routers still support them, so go in and make sure if they're in your router that you've turned them off. I can't give you a, a place that will work with every router. You have to go digging for them. One is a thing called WPS. Uh, is it? Wi-Fi protected setup. It's basically a, a simplified way of connecting devices that don't have keyboards or that have poor keyboards where you just get this one-time eight-digit code that lets you on the network. That has fundamental cryptographic flaws. Don't bother with it. It's 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 not secure at all. Uh, and the other thing, we've mentioned this many times on Naked Security Live videos and podcasts before, if your router has a setting anywhere in its interface for a thing called UPNP, Universal Plug and Play, make sure you turn it off unless you know how it works and you absolutely technically know that you need it. It's a way of helping devices on your network find each other automatically. Plug and Universal Plug and Play. So it's That's like even older. I for, may have had a mullet yeah. the next, the last still, time when UPNP still, came out. It still exists, right? It was a great idea. Everyone was used to plug and play with USB sticks. You plug mm -hmm. in a device, it goes, oh, it's a new sound card. Let me go and find the right driver. Let me load it. Let me, and you didn't have to spend 7,000 hours trying to get this brand new device working when you plugged it in. But golly, how do you make that work on a wireless network where nobody quite knows when you plugged it in? There's no electrical signal. And you UPnP was supposed to solve that problem. The problem is it can kind of be too clever and too great, and it can mean that a device inside your network might end up convincing your router without you realizing that it would be really great to allow people from outside your network in and onto that device, which is almost certainly not what you want. So WEP, no. WPS, no. Universal plug and play, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh yeah. no! That was that was quite good. The perfect segue into the oh no of the week. I Wardoff writes. I was ending a workday at my client's house. When we were all done, my client's aunt told me to take a look at her two laptops because it wasn't giving any sign of life. Well, I started with a classic, just turn it off and on again, and I wait and nothing. Well, I'll take a look inside. Takes the lid off. Hmm. Here's your problem. Client. What? I don't see anything. Me. Exactly! You don't have a hard drive or a RAM module. It can't work without it. In that moment, my client went to call her aunt because a distant family member had the laptop before and was the only suspect. I heard the family talking afterwards. The guy will be leaving the house next month. He betrayed them and stole from them for just a few bucks. So yes, I caused the expulsion of a guy from this house. The end. Now I am nowhere near as technical as Paul, but I do know for a fact that you do need a hard drive and RAM for a computer to work correctly. <laughs> Even I know that. <laughs> well, I, technically you don't need a hard drive, right? You could have an SSD or a uh, yeah, USB yes, yep. stick. Like I said, not as technical, what, yep. What, what's, what, What's tricky about that is if the person's that devious and untrustworthy and they know that they're only going to get five bucks for a hard disk, if that, then you have to wonder, did they have 
full disk encryption enabled like on a Mac that's easy because you can use file vault on Windows it depends if you've got home Windows I think these days BitLocker will protect your built-in hard disk because of course if you run off with someone's hard disk you can actually plug it into another computer and read off all their data and sadly that may have even more value probably does have a lot more value than the hard disk itself so something to bear in mind and if you're going to build your own computer, which I highly recommend, it's fun and you get to choose all your parts, make sure to buy storage and RAM. You need those. <laughs> need them. Thank you, Doug. Thank need them. You. Doug, do you, when, you, when you build your own computer, do you go for, you know, like uh, LED lighting strips and do you go for the full and full water cooling and multiple GPUs and that? Yeah, you can't see my desktop case, but it's um, it's actually a full aquarium with tigerfish in it. <laughs> I sure hope so. Well, this has been fun. Um, <laughs> if you enjoyed what you listened to, why not leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcast? And of course, if you have an ONO for us, you can email us at tips at sophos.com. Or you can DM us. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Naked Security. And until next time, stay, stay secure. Stay secure. <laughs>